listeners, John Sands speaking. Welcome to the combined Chester and Flint Talking Newspaper edition for Friday 16th of February. I hope you're all surviving this very mixed weather and haven't had your garden fence panels ripped off in the wind. Some of mine now are in need of repair. It's strange to think, as you shiver, that in the Southern Hemisphere, February is regarded as the last month of summer. I've always felt rather sorry for February. It's a bit of a a little runt, wedged between January and March, with 31 days each side of it. In fact, in history, February's length has varied sometimes to as little as 23 days, to match the behaviour of the moon and such like. February's outstanding day, Valentine's Day, February the 14th, is in memory of the 3rd century Roman saint, martyred for his love and kindness, which were celebrated in the 14th century as a day of romance. Even Chaucer, in his Parliament of Fowls, celebrated a gathering of birds to choose their mates. This romantic feeling developed, and though it's not a public holiday in any country, it's celebrated worldwide. One thing of which February can be proud. In February 1848, a treaty was signed to end the U.S. and Mexican War, as a result of which the U.S. paid Mexico $15 million in exchange for California, Nevada, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, and Texas. Quite a bargain, you may think. It must have been a a Black Friday deal, I suppose. But not everyone is fortunate in February because of one patching day, February the 29th. In the Gilbert and Sullivan comic opera of the Pirates of Penzance, young Frederick, a a pirate apprentice, despairs of marrying his love since, being born on February the 29th, he is only five years old, counting his birthdays, and can't even be considered. All works out well in the end, of course. There is another little reason I must mention that makes me feel sorry for February. It appears to be one of the most misspelt words in the English language. That's dreadful, isn't it? I'd hate my name to be misspelt, wouldn't you? Never mind. Life goes on around us, and we can now hear of some local events in the newspaper extracts. Sunrise in Chester on Sunday the 18th of February is 7.24am and sunset 5.28 p.m. And now, over to the readers. Hello, I'm Patrick Blunden. The Countess of Chester Hospital Trust says there is much more to do after it came under criticism from inspectors in a new report. 
The Care Quality Commission report said both Chester and Ellesmere Port hospitals were categorised as requires improvement in all areas except caring, where staff provided a good service across the board. Maternity services had improved the Countess since the last inspection and were no longer rated as inadequate. But urgent and emergency services had deteriorated and were now rated inadequate. The latter was mainly due to long waiting times, noted to be worse than the national average, with increased numbers of patients and delays in discharging those who had been admitted. Overall, inspectors recorded the Trust faced the dual issues of too great a demand on urgent and emergency care services, leading to an overcrowded accident and emergency department, compounded by reduced capacity in social care services and backlogs in assessment, leading to significant numbers of patients stuck on wards waiting for discharge. They added corridor care had become normalised, which compromised patient safety, privacy and dignity. Inspectors recorded in their series of unannounced inspections carried out between October and November 2023, the number of patients overall had increased by about 20%, with patients and ambulances from Wales attending as well as those from local area. Inspectors noted staff were hardworking but were tired. Morale appeared low due to constant daily pressures in the department. Staff were encouraged to speak up about concerns, but did not feel this was effective. Senior leaders told us they felt listened to by the board, but felt that the issues were national and difficult to manage locally as a trust alone, with the issues requiring a system response. However, elsewhere in the hospital, staff were more positive about the trust, particularly in services for children and young people, where staff were very positive about the support they received. Inspectors also raised concern at the Hospital Trust's financial challenges, with a forecast deficit for the end of the financial year ranging between £28.3 million and £43.5 million. Jane Tomkinson, OBE, CEO at the Trust, thanked the secrecy for their report and the inspectors for their work during their visits. Hello, this is Claire Hodges. Senior councillors in Flintshire will be asked to approve a council tax rise of 9.1% for the 2024 to 25 financial year. Flintshire's budget predicament is stark. The council was facing a budget black hole of nearly £13 million, a deficit exacerbated by historical underfunding. However, Additional cost pressures, notably in homelessness demand and out-of-county placements, have seen the gap revised to £14.5 million. Per capita, Flintshire ranks 20th out of 22 councils in Wales in terms of funding received to deliver services, receiving £159 less per person than the Welsh average. This discrepancy has significant implications. If Flintshire were funded at the national average, it would be approximately £24 million better off, dramatically altering the Council's financial landscape. The budget gap is not merely a product of underfunding, but is also driven by several critical factors. There is an increasing demand for services, such as homelessness support and social care. 
areas that have seen significant pressure in recent times. Additionally, new responsibilities have been allocated to the Council by the Welsh Government without the corresponding funding to fulfil these duties. Compounding the current funding challenges are workforce pay increases, which despite being negotiated and agreed nationally, come without additional funding for councils to implement them. The soaring cost of energy, food, fuel and other essential services further exacerbates the budgetary pressures facing Flintshire. Recent storms and flood clear-up work has added additional costs. Based on the final additional budget requirement of £14.446 million, the Council has said an overall annual increase of 8% is required on Council tax for Council services and 1.1% for additional contributions to North Wales Fire and Rescue Service and the Regional Coroner's Service. This equates to an overall uplift of 9.1% and provides overall additional net yield of £9.072 million in 2024 to 25. This amounts to an annual increase of £138.44 per annum and brings the council tax on a band D equivalent property to £1,659.77. £2.66 per week equivalent. The level of annual increase in council tax will be voted on during a full council meeting on February the 20th. Hello, this is Diane Frith. A teenager has been jailed after he was found guilty of raping a girl at an address in Huxley. William Studley of Huxley Lane, Huxley near Chester, appeared at Chester Crown Court on Friday, February the 9th, where he was sentenced to five years and six months. He was also handed a 15-year restraining order and will be on the sex offenders register indefinitely. Studley had previously been found guilty of rape at Chester Crown Court on Wednesday, December the 6th. He was also found not guilty of a second count of rape. The 19-year-old had pleaded guilty to one count of sexual assault on one count of making indecent images of children in relation to the same victim at an earlier hearing. During the trial, the court heard how the victim attended a party in Frodsham with her friend on Saturday, April 23rd, 2022. The pair had arranged to stay at Studley's address once the party had ended. Shortly after arriving at his address, the victim began to feel unwell and fell asleep in an upstairs bedroom alone. She awoke to find Studley raping her. The next day, the victim reported the incident to Chester Constabulary, who launched an investigation leading to Studley's arrest. Following his arrest, officers discovered video footage on Studley's Studley's phone, which showed him sexually assaulting the victim while she slept. After being shown the footage, Studley pleaded guilty to the charges of sexual assault and making indecent images of children. However, he denied raping the victim. Despite his denial, Studley was convicted of one count of rape following a three-day trial at Chester Crown Court, which concluded on Wednesday the 6th of December. Detective Sergeant Courtney Day said, 
Nobody should have to experience what the victim has been through. And I hope that the sentence handed to Studley will provide the victim with some closure. Studley initially denied all offences put to him, claiming that the victim had consented, but was left with no option but to plead guilty when footage of the assault was recovered from his phone. Hello everyone, Margaret Bell is here. Chester City Centre's e-scooter trial has been suspended until further notice. Cheshire Western Chester Council said it is saddened by the move, but reaffirmed its commitment to providing sustainable and affordable transport options. Ginger, the company behind the e-scooter service, revealed that it is reviewing its operations in force since December 2020 as part of the Department of Transport scheme. More than 180 e-scooters have been made available for hire in Chester from 47 dockless parking locations available throughout the city to start or end a journey using the Ginger Shared Transport app. Deputy Leader Karen Shaw said, The council is saddened to hear of the removal of Ginger scooters from Chester streets for the many users of this trailblazing technology in our city provided through the trial hire scheme. The trial has supported the Council's Climate Emergency Response Plan. It has provided a green restart of local travel with the aim of mitigating the impact of reduced public transport capacity that came about during the height of the pandemic, providing a sustainable mode of transport around the city and reducing short, single occupancy car journeys. We are in discussions and awaiting further information about the decision. She added, the Council's approach is pioneering and we will continue to progress with our many sustainable transport options for Chester and the rest of the borough. We are committed to affordable and sustainable transport and will continue to make a great headway keeping our residents and visitors connected to the places they need to get to. Paul Hodgkins, Chief Executive of Ginger, said, We are reviewing our operations and trying to find a way to come back to Chester, which has been a great place for e-scooters, proving that the future of local transport in small, efficient vehicles, not big cars. He slammed the government for kicking the can down the road. The Department for Transport has now extended e-scooter trials nationally to 2026, though the schemes were initially announced as one-year pilots in July 2020. Mr Hodgkins said the government was creating ongoing uncertainty for everyone and was not addressing proper rules for private e-scooters. On Tuesday, December the 5th, a new law came into force requiring people wishing to hire an e-scooter to provide their name, driving licence number and a photograph of the front of their driving licence to hire operators. Details will be stored and provided to police if required. Hello, it's Kath Davis here. Cheshire residents can now upload pictures of bad parking to a new police webpage. The new project 
by Cheshire Police is being rolled out across Cheshire after a successful trial in Crewe. Cheshire residents will be able to report public illegal parking problems online. Operation ParkSafe is a project which allows members of the public to report parking issues online through the Cheshire Police website. As part of the scheme, residents can send videos and photographs of offending vehicles to the website, where they will be assessed by an experienced traffic officer who will deal with any dangerous parking offences. Any minor traffic obstructions will be allocated to the local PCSO or BEAT officers to deal with in an appropriate manner. What residents will need to do, you will need to provide a written statement about the offence, including the date and time it happened. This can be completed electronically. You will need to provide us with your name, address, date of birth and contact details. You may be required to attend court if the matter is contested. You should not challenge the driver or get involved in confrontation. You should not put yourself at risk to obtain a photograph. What officers will do? The Roads and Crime Unit will triage the report and will deal with the person responsible. This may include issuing fines or educational courses, depending on the severity of the offence committed. Officers will deal with vehicles parked on or in a crossing area. This includes the area covered by zigzag lines. Parking on white lines. People cannot stop or park on a road marked with double white lines, even when a broken white line is on your side of the road, except to pick up or set down passengers or to load or unload. This includes the pavements or verge. Forcing pedestrians to walk in the road. This includes parking on the pavement where there is not enough room for pedestrians to get past. Parking at or on a junction. Vehicles cannot stop, park opposite or within 10 metres of a junction. School parking offences. People cannot stop or park on the zigzag lines or keep clear markings. Parking on a cycle track. Parking a goods vehicle on the road. Vehicles with a maximum laden weight of more than 7.5 tonnes, including trailers, cannot park on a verge, pavement or any land situated between carriageways without police permission. The only exception is when this is essential for loading and unloading, but the vehicle cannot be left unattended. Officers can't deal with single and double yellow line offences. These are local authority parking enforcement only. Pavement parking. This is where there is still room for pedestrians to get past with having to, without having to go into the road. To report parking issues as part of Operation Park Safe, visit cheshire.police.uk forward slash park dash safe. That is cheshire.police.uk forward slash park dash safe. Hello, Astonute here. Organisations from across Cheshire convened at Crewe's Mournflake Stadium on Thursday the 15th of February, where the police and key partners presented the latest initiatives to prevent and tackle retail and business crime. 
The Cheshire Retail and Business Crime Conference was hosted by Police and Crime Commissioner John Dwyer in partnership with Cheshire Constabulary, the Northwest Regional Organised Crime Unit, NWROCU, and Northwest Cyber Resilience Centre, NWCRC. Sessions and presentations on cybersecurity, forensic property marking, and a new police digital evidence management system, DEMS, gave businesses important information on how to protect themselves from criminals, both on and offline, and how the police are using the latest technology to bring criminals to justice. During the event, the NWCRC launched its fully funded free its fully funded free Cheshire cybersecurity program, which has free membership and training for 150 businesses worth £500 each. The NWCRC was launched in 2019 as a police-led non-for-profit organisation to support small businesses with education, training and resources to tackle cybercrime. Police and Crime Commissioner John Dwyer said, Tackling retail and business crime is part of Cheshire Police and Crime Plan, and I know that businesses face a range of threats both on and offline, so I wanted to bring the county's business community together to share best practice and reassure them about the action being taken on these issues. It's been great to see so many organisations engaging with the police but it doesn't end here. I look forward to working with everyone to make Cheshire an even safer place to operate a business. Detective Inspector Dan Giannassi, Head of Cyber and Innovation at the NWCRC said, Cybercrime is a growing threat for small businesses. One phishing attack or data breach can wipe out a small business completely. As a non-for-profit and police-led organization, the preventative training and education that we do with business is of vast importance. We're extremely pleased to be working alongside Cheshire Constabulary to provide free memberships and training for Cheshire businesses. Hello from Fiona Farga. Chester FC collected a huge three points on Saturday the 10th of February and overtook Scarborough in the league table as they comfortably beat the Sea Dogs 3-0. The sun was beaming down on the Chester Leap 67 Stadium, and Chester's performance matched the weather. It was a complete team performance, and they were fully deserving of the full complement of points. Callum McIntyre's men came out of the traps with attacking intent, and the Seals capitalised on the pressure. Following a Declan Weeks corner, the ball bounced to the returning Kevin Roberts, who hooked the ball goalward. Scarborough defender and captain Will Thornton flung an arm out in a desperate attempt to prevent a goal, and referee Darren Rogers pointed to the spot. After scoring from 12 yards on Tuesday night, Elliot Whitehouse stepped up again and made no mistake, firing the ball to the keeper's right and sending Ryan Whitley the wrong way with not even 10 minutes on the clock. On the stroke of half-time, Chester goalkeeper Stanway was tested for the first time, following a set piece. Full-back Kieran Walidi 
leapt highest to nod the ball, but Stanway was well set to palm the ball over. The start of the second half was a mirror image of the first, with Chester imposing themselves right from the first whistle. The lively Christian Norton saw his volley deflected over the bar and George Glendon touched down an inviting ball from Harrison Burke, but he couldn't quite get the ball out from under his feet. Exactly halfway through the second half, Chester got the second goal they deserved. Tom Pierce was rewarded for his attacking endeavour as he took possession of the ball right on the touchline. With Wickley out of his net, Skipper George Glendon had time to compose himself before rifling the ball into the roof of the untended net. Debutant Bill T- Ben Tollett sorry, nearly made it 3-0 five minutes later. His ferocious strike was marginally over the crossbar, a sign of good things to come in blue for our new number 18. Scarborough struggled to create any clear-cut chances on an afternoon that saw the home defence looking strong and resolute. Then, with virtually the last kick of the game, the Seals did get their third goal. Tom Pierce was on hand to tap it in. Three goals and three points. A wonderful afternoon for Chester as they rise to fourth position in the league and make it six games unbeaten. A new campaign has been launched in Flintshire aimed at preventing pollution from industrial estates in the county. The campaign, launched on Wednesday 7th of February and led by Natural Resources Wales, that's NRW, saw officers visit local sites in Flint. They checked businesses at Abba Park, Castle Park and Ashmount Enterprise Industrial Estates to check drainage, storage of liquids, chemicals and spill procedures. NRW said its officers aim to ensure that businesses on the industrial estates have the correct measures in place to prevent pollution incidents. The campaign follows several reports about pollution running into Switchard Brook, a tributary of the River Dee from the nearby industrial estates. Elizabeth Felton, NRW Environment Team Leader for Flintshire, said environmental regulations are in place to help protect our environment and waterways, and it's important we serve a reminder of these to local businesses following several recent pollution incidents in the Swinchard Brook in Flint. The industrial estates have a duty of care to the communities in which they operate to ensure the correct controls and safeguards are in place to prevent incidents from occurring. We hope this new campaign will raise awareness of the pollution dangers and how they can help to pre- protect our environment and waterways. All suspected pollution and other environmental incidents can be reported to Natural Resources Wales via the 24 hours a day incident hotline service by phoning 0300 065 3000. That's 0300 065 3000. The Auditor General for Wales released a report on Thursday the 15th of February detailing the progress made by Betsy Cadwallader University Health Board a year after it was put into special measures. In February 2023, the Auditor General published a report in the public interest that described a worrying level of dysfunctionality within the board at Betsy. Following significant changes to the board membership over the last 12 months, and a period of upheaval and churn, the follow-up report describes a board that is now more stable. 
the appointment of a new substantive chief executive has been highlighted as a positive step forward. The report indicates that the dysfunctionality previously observed within the board is no longer evident, and there's a noted improvement in working relationships among senior leaders. However, despite these advancements, the Health Board continues to grapple with fundamental challenges, especially as it remains under special measures. However, further action in a number of areas is still needed. Work must continue to build a cohesive and high-performing executive team and to move as quickly as possible to a position where the Board has a full complement of substantive executive directors and independent members. Governance structures that were stood down in 2023 following the resignation of the previous independent members need to be built back up and the issues that led to the suspension of staff in the finance team need to be resolved, the Auditor General states. Crucially, the report highlights the need for the organisation to develop its internal capacity and resilience to sustain improvement without requiring continual external support. Auditor General Adrian Crompton said today, it's assuring to see that the dysfunction within the Health Board's senior leadership that we described last year is no longer present. There is now a need for the Board to build upon this progress and provide the unified organisational leadership that is needed to address the significant and ongoing challenges facing the Health Board. Removal of funding for police visits to schools in Wales will leave children vulnerable to criminal exploitation, it's been claimed. The Welsh Government announced last week that it would be axing its contribution to the School Beat Cymru scheme, which sees officers deliver lessons on substance abuse, safety, safeguarding and behaviour. The devolved government said stopping funding for the Wales Police Schools Programme would result in an annual saving of £2 million from April and allow it to prioritise frontline services. However, former North Wales Police and Crime Commissioner Arfon Jones has criticised the move, claiming it would leave youngsters at risk of being recruited into so-called county lines drug gangs. He said... I am very disappointed by the Welsh Government's decision to stop the Welsh Police Schools Programme after so many successful years. The decision goes against both the Welsh Government and Welsh Policing Progressive and Preventative Ethos to intervene early to prevent children and young people being drawn into criminality, especially county lines. Current North Wales Police and Crime Commissioner Andy Dunbobbin had pledged to keep funding the scheme within the region until July. He said, I understand and appreciate the budgetary constraints that Welsh Government is operating under, which is an issue affecting the whole of the public sector, as well as the concerns that staff and the public have around the future of the programme. As such, Although funding for school beat from Welsh Government will end, it is important to reassure children, parents and education providers that thanks to money from police and crime commissioners and the force, the programme will continue to the end of the academic year. The plan is that when school the plan is that school beat will evolve and adapt 
into a service with a more sustainable funding model while still delivering an excellent outcome for all who have stake in the programme. A Welsh Government spokesman said the decision to remove funding for the scheme had been taken in light of the NHS and other frontline services facing the toughest financial pressures in recent history. We have had to take very difficult decisions about the Welsh Government's commitments and priorities, with a focus on protecting frontline services and saving lives. The demolition of a disused health clinic in Flint can go ahead without requiring planning permission, it's been ruled. Flint Child Health Clinic on Borough Grove closed its doors in October 2016, after services were relocated to a new site in the town centre. The building is currently empty and, according to planning documents, has become a hotspot for antisocial behaviour following several break-ins and incidents of vandalism. The site has now been earmarked by Flintshire Council for a potential affordable housing scheme. An application was made to the local authorities planning department in January to check whether prior approval was needed before the building could be knocked down. Planning officers have decided that permission is not required, meaning the demolition work can move forward. Their report states, the application seeks consent for the demolition of the existing building site, which is a redundant health centre along Borough Grove in Flint. The clinic is to undergo asbestos abatement requirements, removing all known and identified asbestos as per, per the survey. The buildings are then to be prepared for extensive demolition, which requires demolition operatives to carefully conduct an internal soft strip, removing fixtures, fittings and loose furniture and debris. The buildings are then to be carefully deconstructed in a systematic sequence using bespoke demolition machinery under the guidance of a dedicated, experienced, trained demolition site team. The method of construction and site clearance is acceptable and the further approval of the local planning authority is not required. The documents state that the site must be left in a clean condition following the demolition, with no obstructions or safety hazards. It will then be levelled ready for redevelopment with secure fencing and locked gates due to be installed. A further planning application would be required before any new buildings are constructed on the land. Talk Listen Change has announced plans to extend its family mediation services to March. The expansion promises to offer crucial support to hundreds of families navigating the complexities of separation and divorce. Family mediation serves as a crucial process for separating couples to make arrangements concerning their children and or shared finances in a secure setting, guided by an impartial, impartial professional. The approach not only avoids the stress and expense of court battles, but also ensures discussions about living arrangements financial disclosures and division of assets are handled with the utmost care and respect for all involved. A standout feature of the service is child inclusive mediation, 
which uniquely allows children a platform to express their views regarding the decisions affecting their lives following consent from both parents. TLC, Talk, Listen, Change, with over four decades of experience in fostering safe, healthy and happy relationships, has witnessed a remarkable 25.7% increase in referrals from 2022 to 2023. Originally established in Manchester in 2015, the service quickly expanded to neighbouring areas due to high demand, with the pandemic further broadening its reach across the UK through online services. The 2024 expansion into Mould is set to open doors for the charity to assist even more families during the most challenging times. Accessibility remains a cornerstone of TLC's mission, with family mediation available to everyone, regardless of financial situation. Services are offered both privately and through funding options, such as legal aid and the government voucher scheme. Remarkably, 78.7% of clients utilised these services free of charge last year, underscoring the charity's commitment to equal access to high-quality mediation. The government voucher scheme offering £500 towards joint mediation sessions discussing children represents a significant vote of confidence from the Ministry of Justice in non-court resolution methods. Early analysis of the scheme's impact is promising, with 69% of participants reaching whole or partial agreements outside of court. When a signal from a distress beacon was detected in the Wirral area by His Majesty's Coast Guard on Tuesday the 13th of February, a major search effort by the volunteer crews at Hoylake and New Brighton RNLI was launched. Hoylake's RNLI's all-weather Shannon-class lifeboat Edmund Hawthorne, Micklewood, and New Brighton's inshore Atlantic 85 lifeboat, Charles Dibdin, were both tasked just before 8am. The signal suggested that a casualty could potentially be within a five nautical mile radius, somewhere around the Wirral coast. The lifeboats set out to locate the source of the beacon using their radio signal, direction finding equipment. Hoylake RNLI lifeboat initially searched along the North Wirral coast before heading towards Prostatin and into the D estuary. Meanwhile, New Brighton RNLI lifeboat took the search into the River Mersey along both the Wirral and Liverpool sides of the water. While in the River Dee, Hoylake RNLI lifeboat detected a weak and intermittent signal in the direction of Queen's Ferry. The lifeboat immediately headed towards the signal to investigate. However, after further searches, the beacon could no longer be detected. With no further reports of people or vessels missing or in distress, His Majesty's Coast Guard stood down the RNLI lifeboats. Hoylake RNLI coxswain Howie Owen said, The two lifeboat crews searched for nearly three hours after the alarm was raised. While there was nobody in difficulty in this case, the incident is testament to the commitment of RNLI volunteers who will always drop everything to save lives at sea. We would advise everyone who owns life-saving equipment, such as emergency positioning indicating radio beacons, EPIRBEs, 
or personal locator beacons, PLBs, to ensure they're registered with the Coast Guard. This helps the authorities to identify and contact owners in an emergency. A dilapidated wooden chapel in a village in Flintshire could be turned into a house under new proposals. St Winifred's Church in Gronant has stood empty for a number of years and is reported to have fallen into a state of disrepair. A planning application has now been put forward to convert the building into a two-bedroom house. The chapel sold for £95,000 at an online auction held in March last year, according to a listing on the website of property company Jones Peckover. An agent acting on behalf of the applicant, Dale Milne, said the plans would help to secure the future of the building. In a statement submitted to Flintshire Council, they said the property consists of a single storey church, which is constructed of a timber frame over a brick plinth with a shallow pitched roof. The premises have been closed as a church for many years and are in a dilapidated state of repair, having declined from a lack of maintenance over the years. However, despite the poor visible appearance through a lack of maintenance, the building is in good structural condition and is capable of being renovated to retain the character of the current building on site. It's imperative that an alternative, viable and sustainable use is found for the property, which will ensure investment in its renovation and future maintenance. The proposed change of use to a dwelling will provide a much needed additional dwelling in the locality. Two parking spaces have been proposed to serve the property as well, and a new access point for vehicles. The agent said that despite previously being a community facility, the building was no longer suitable to be reused in this way. They added, the use of the premises as a community facility is demonstrated to be unviable and certainly would not attract the substantial investment needed to renovate it back into good order. The proposal therefore does not constitute a loss of a community facility and other such facilities are available in the local area. Comments are currently being invited on the application via the Council's website with a decision expected at a later date. Work to convert a former landfill site in Chester into a green space for wildlife and residents is due to begin on Wednesday, February the 14th. The Backies, an eight-acre former landfill site, forms part of the Leach Action Plan endorsed by the Council Cabinet in November last year. Leach Councillor Alex Tate said there was hope that the regenerative project could emulate the likes of the Countess of Chester Country Park in the future. Plans for how the space will be improved for different species of wildlife and as a green space for local people to enjoy are being developed in a partnership between residents and the Council's landscape regeneration teams. Some initial works are being carried out to the entrance to the site from February the 15th before the bird nesting season begins and should take around a week to complete. This will include works of trees in different states of collapse near paths, removal of diseased trees to allow for an extra pathway into and through the area, and the removal of roots to help make paths level. Concrete posts may also be removed to help improve the grassland and encourage biodiversity and wildlife habitats. 
During the works, contractors will be on site during the day with machinery, a digger and chainsaws. If residents still wish to access the area during this time, it is asked that dogs are kept on a lead. The Blackies is one of four key projects which make up the Leitch Action Plan, which also includes improved facilities and play equipment for children at Leitch Park on Sycamore Drive, the refurbishment of Leitch Community Centre and improvements to roads and traffic management on the likes of Hawthorne Road and Poplar Place making it safer to walk or cycle and boosting the look and feel of the area. Councillor Nathan Pardo, cabinet member, said this is just the first phase of our plans that have been developed in ongoing consultation with residents and the friends of the Backies group. We thank everyone involved for their enthusiasm working on this project. Updates to the Backies project will be posted on a revamped Leach Action Plan website from early March. A very unusual incident caused the premature end to comedy play within a play noises off at Story House Chester on Thursday, February the 8th. A packed audience had come to see the celebrated play featuring stars Liza Goddard, Simon Shepherd, and Paul Bradley as it ran through the week until Saturday. The play follows the on and off stage antics of a touring theatre company where mishaps and mayhem threatened to derail a fictional farce, Nothing On. But shortly into Act Two of Thursday night's performance, the show, in which things are meant to go wrong, had an unintentional addition from the theatre's air conditioning system. The ventilation system mistakenly believed a fire had occurred within the building and as a result triggered the complete opening of its vents above the stage, exposing the stage to the outside elements. That led to the unusual sight of rain beginning to fall on the indoor stage. Combined with the loud noise generated by the air conditioning system, the performers were shortly directed off the stage for safety reasons, as the audience at least appreciated the irony of the situation. Sadly, despite the best efforts of Storyhouse's technical team, the decision was made after about a 35-minute delay to cancel the remainder of that night's intended performance, as the vents refused to comply with stage directions and remained stubbornly open, leaving the stage wet. Sincere apologies were offered to those in attendance, and people who had booked tickets were to be contacted with information on rebooking tickets for another performance or refund details. A spokesman for Storyhouse said efforts are continuing to resolve the faulty ventilation system with the aim that the remainder of the play's run and other shows could proceed as planned. The spokesperson said, our team is diligently working to resolve the fault with our event system. We currently have engineers on site addressing the fault and we are hopeful that all scheduled shows this weekend, including tonight's performance of Noises Off, will proceed as planned. We understand the importance of keeping our customers informed we are committed to providing updates as soon as we have confirmed information. A criminal posing as a businessman who was found in possession of thousands of pounds worth of stolen cash has avoided jail. Benjamin Kershaw appeared at Chester Crown Court on February the 12th, where he was handed a 12-month prison sentence suspended for two years. 
It comes after the 43-year-old of Oakley Rise in Northwich admitted to the possession of criminal property, namely £11,000 in stained cash obtained during an armed robbery. Following the sentencing, Detective Constable Claire Healy of Northwich Proactive Team said, Kershaw portrayed himself as a successful, honest businessman, but in reality he is a criminal who was clearly involved in laundering stolen cash on behalf of his criminal associates. The messages we discovered on Kershaw's phone were, dam phone were damning. They revealed that the money found at his home had been stolen during an armed robbery in around 2018. They also revealed that Kershaw had employed a team of criminal associates to remove the dye from the stained banknotes so that it could be used legitimately. Thanks to these messages, along with the other evidence we gathered, Kershaw was left with no option but eventually plead guilty to the charges against him. Officers conducted a warrant at Kershaw's former home on Bishop's Way in Northwich on August the 8th, 2020, in connection with an unrelated matter. While searching the address, officers found £20,710 in cash in his bedroom and in his car parked on the driveway. More than £11,000 of this had been stained red and blue, meaning it had either been stolen from an ATM or a cash-in-transit vehicle. During questioning, Kershaw claimed to have got the cash after selling a Rolex to someone on holiday. However, Judge Patrick Thompson called this a cock-and-bull story, and that was just not true. Defending, Ian Whitehurst said Kershaw was remorseful and had apologised for his behaviour. He noted his client's poor health, including sickle cell anemia and arthritis, as well as the detrimental impact of previous accusations put against him, of which he was acquitted. Sentencing, Patrick Thompson said Kershaw had a history of dishonesty, including the handling of stolen goods in 2007 and twice perverting the courts of justice in 2014 and 2021. However, believing that there was a realistic prospect of rehabilitation, he sentenced him to 12 months suspended for two years. Kershaw must also complete 35 days of rehabilitation activity, 19 sessions of the Thinking Skills Programme, and, and pay a £1,000 fine. He has also been banned from being a company director for his unfit conduct, conduct while running several businesses, Cheshire Police have said. Legendary Chester FC goalie Dennis Reeves showed business leaders the future of the city's football team is in safe hands. The 79-year-old Scott joined a party of guests from the Chester Business Club to watch the Seals beat Scarborough. Dennis, who played 139 times for the Blues, was also joined by Mark Tanner, the Bishop of Chester, at the game on Saturday, February the 10th. And the football gods were smiling on Callum McIntyre's team as they ran out 3-0 winners against their fellow playoff hopefuls. Jan Chillery, the chair of Chester Business Club, CBC, said, It was great to see Chester FC win in such a style. 
The team is a credit to the city and we will be cheering them on in the hope they can win promotion. Explaining the growing relationship between the CBC and Chester FC, Ms Chillery continued, The football club is an integral part of our city, which means a lot to so many people, and the CBC is in full support of the work they are doing, both on and off the pitch. We are making it an annual tradition to bring a party of members and guests to CFC for lunch in the Lesdens Rat Lounge. We were lucky to have premium seats in the director's area to see such a great win. And it was super special to have a genuine blues legend with us in Dennis for the day. To hear such great stories from Dennis over lunch made it a day to remember. Also in attendance was Will Lamb, the director of Chester FC, Bob Ellis, formerly of Meadow Foods, James Brown of Savitas, Rosalind Ellis, who serves on the CBC Executive Committee, Ian Cooper and Trevor Dollimore. Ms Chillery added, I was proud to present guests Bishop Mark Tanner and Lindsay Tanner with Chester FC scarves. We had great fun and even enjoyed a bit of friendly pre-match chat and banter with directors from Scarborough Athletic who joined us from a picture. I'm really looking forward to our next visit to Chester FC and hope we see the same success from the Blues again. The CBC wishes the team the very best for the rest of the season. Chester FC recently announced the appointment of their new general manager, Albert Davis, who has worked within the club in a full-time capacity for almost six years, beginning as media and communications officer and most recently in the role of communications manager and football administrator. Mums who gave birth at the Countess of Chester Hospital NHS Foundation Trust last year have praised staff for being there for them if help was needed during labour and birth, a National Maternity Survey has revealed. The Care Quality Commission, CQC, has released its annual National Maternity Survey finding for 2023, which show overall that patients at the Countess of Chester Hospital were positive about their maternity care, with improvements in a number of areas compared to the previous year. Around 20% of respondents were from underrepresented groups, which reflects a diverse range of backgrounds, and their input has been welcomed by the Trust to further help improve services. Families were asked questions about every aspect of their care during each stage of their maternity journey, from their initial contact with a midwife to the care provided to them at home afterwards. The results show an improvement in a number of areas compared to the previous year, which reflects the dedication the maternity staff show in supporting people through their pregnancy, birth and postnatal journey. While patient experiences of maternity services at the Countess of Chester Hospital were about the same as most other trusts overall, they were better than most in some areas. The top five areas of care where the trust performed better than the national average were ensuring discharge without delay, giving patients who have given birth enough information or explanations while in hospital, ensuring support or advice for patients about feeding a baby, 
feeling that midwives and other health professionals gave active support and encouragement about feeding the baby. Enough information was given about any changes to mental health that might happen after having a baby. Sue Pemberton, Director of Nursing and Deputy Chief Officer at the Countess of Chester Hospital NHS Foundation Trust, said, The results in this survey are an invaluable tool that will help to identify improvements to further shape services so as to better meet the needs of women and families. The midwifery mental health team has also grown and the programme of education for parents is being reviewed. There is now a greater focus on postnatal support, which has led to 10% fewer delayed discharges. In summer 2025, the new Women and Children's Building will open at the Countess of Chester Hospital, which the Trust says will be providing a much improved environment for care and better facilities for patients and their families. Local coffee roasters, Wrexham Bean Company, are paying tribute to the Gresford Colliery disaster with a new coffee bag artwork. The design, which depicts the mine's original lift shaft, will be used exclusively on the bags of its latest coffee blend, Calon, meaning heart in Welsh. The reason we print unique artwork of Wrexham architecture and landmarks on our coffee bags is to highlight the local area and its history, said Rich Priamo, co-founder of Wrexham Bean Company. The Grassford Colliery disaster is a sad yet significant part of that, and this year marks 90 years since the tragedy. We wanted to do something that honours the memory respectfully, paying tribute to those who sadly lost their lives and to the families who remain affected. On the 22nd of September 1934, an explosion and fire erupted in the Dennis section of the Gresford mine, claiming 266 lives and trapping hundreds more. After the mine's closure, the colliery wheel was knocked down and now forms part of the Gresford Colliery Memorial in Pandy, Gwersist. Rich continued, Acknowledging Wrexham's rich culture is an integral part of our ethos and future as a local business. But this new artwork goes beyond that. It's about really connecting with our heritage and continuing to share the collective story of Wrexham. Wrexham Bean Company, launched in April 2023 by family members Rich Priamo, 33, and James Roche, 29. Its coffee bags already showcase one-of-a-kind prints of the Pontcasaste Aqueduct in Trevor, the racecourse ground and the Wrexham Hollywood sign. A rare primate known for its spider-like appearance has been born at Chester Zoo. The baby Colombian black-headed spider monkey has been spotted by visitors while being cradled in the arms of new mum Kiara. Zookeepers have revealed that the precious newcomer is female and they've named her Olive. The highly threatened primate is vulnerable to extinction in the wild, with more than 80% of its population having been lost in the last half century. This species, spider monkey, is found mainly in Colombia and Panama in the South Americas, where it faces threats from hunting, 
the illegal wildlife trade and the ongoing destruction of the rainforest home, largely due to agriculture. Primatologists at the zoo are responsible for managing the coordinated efforts between European zoos that are working to boost numbers and safeguard the charismatic monkeys from disappearing altogether. Mark Brayshaw, head of mammals at the Conservation Zoo said, life as a baby spider monkey is very bumpy as these fascinating primates are incredibly agile, spending the majority of their time leaping between the treetops and using their tails to hang upside down while foraging for food. It's fantastic to see Kiara cradling baby Olive closely and being so attentive. Olive will cling to mum's belly for a few months before gaining enough confidence to start branching off on her own and start exploring independently, which will be great to see. Spider monkeys face huge survival challenges in the wild. In welcoming new life into the conservation breeding programme, we are contributing to global efforts to secure a future for these highly endangered primates, in tandem with offering education, carrying out scientific research and improving public awareness. We hope to play our part in reversing their decline and ensuring that the species thrives long into the future. Well, we hope that you found our selection of items of interest this week. I'd like to thank our readers, Patrick, Claire, Diane, Margaret, Kath and Esther, and of course, Owen, who will be uh, uploading this edition later after he's put it together and added in some magazine items. So I'm going to ask the readers now to join me in saying goodbye to end this live part of this week's edition. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, February 17th. And The Hand of Ethelberta is a dramatisation of Thomas Hardy's 1876 novel. All of London society is in pursuit of Ethelberta's hand, but the poet is not exactly the lady they think she is. Radio 4 for this, 3 o'clock, Saturday afternoon. When Cassius Met the Beatles is an account of the encounter between Cassius Clay, later Muhammad Ali, and the Fab Four in a rundown boxing gym in Miami in 1964. Radio 4 Extra, 3.30 in the afternoon. George Eliot, A Life in Five Characters, explores the life of novelist George Eliot, born Mary Ann Evans, through five of her characters. 6.30, Radio 4 Extra, Saturday evening. Wagner's Tenhauser is the opera on Radio 3 at 6.30pm. Whilst Carl Jenkins at 80, a classic FM exclusive with John Humphreys, an interview with the composer who is 80 on Saturday with highlights of his career. And the programme is on Classic FM on Saturday evening at 9. Sunday, February 18th. And Desert Island Discs castaway is Clive Oppenheimer, world-renowned expert on volcanoes. Radio 4, 11.15. The last in the present series of the comedy panel show Just a Minute is on Radio 4 at just after midday. 
Words and Music has an Antarctica theme to mark the 150th anniversary of explorer Ernest Shackleton's birth and features, among others, the words of Beryl Bainbridge, Samuel Taylor Coleridge and David Attenborough and the music of Vaughan Williams. Words and Music, Radio 3, 5.30, Sunday afternoon. Waiting for the Flood reflects on the differing ways in which people living in small coastal communities along the threatened coastline of the Wadden Sea wait for the floods from storm surges, a way of life for them. Radio 3 for that, at 7.15. While at the same time on Radio 4, Unspeakable is a new panel show in which guests Stephen Fry, Laura Smith and Maisie Adam are challenged to create a new dictionary, dreaming up words for common concepts that have no names. Radio 4 for this one, 7.15, Sunday evening. The programmes then that are broadcast at the same time every day, from Monday to Friday, so serialised throughout the working week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, same time, same radio station. Book of the Week, James and John, a true story of prejudice and murder, telling the story of antagonistic attitudes to homosexuality in the early 19th century, at a time of great political and social change. Radio 4, Monday to Friday, 9.45 in the morning. The Toff on the Farm is a dramatisation of the 1958 mystery novel by John Creasy. Radio 4 Extra for this, each day, 11am or 4pm. Followed by more drama, The Mysterious Affair at Styles by Agatha Christie, the first of her novels to feature Hercule Poirot. Radio 4 Extra, 11.30 or 4.30, again. Monday to Friday. Composer of the Week is Madalena Sermon, 1745 to 1818. Radio 3, 12 noon, all week. In the series The Essay, Adrian Edmondson's Signs of Life presents essays by the actor and comedian, now in his 60s, who considers moments of personal and social change, beginning with his early years. Radio 3 for this one, 10.45 each night, while Book at Bedtime is... What can you see from here? Mariana Lecky's bittersweet portrait of small village life and the wider world that beckons beyond. Radio 4, all week, 10.45pm. On to individual programmes then, that you can listen to through the week, starting with Monday, February 19th. Antique Silver is the tale of Victor Grayson, a Liverpool-born socialist politician of the incredible oratorial power in 1907 briefly became MP for Colm Vanney. His career was highly colourful, many are falling out with the Labour Party, and then in 1920, at 39, he walked out of his life and was never found again. Radio 4 Extra, Antique Silver, 10am. Sabine is a new drama serial, a murder mystery by Mark Healy. When Sabine's body is found beneath Beachy Head in an apparent suicide, her sister Ellie is convinced she was murdered. The first part is on Radio 4 on Monday at 2.15 in the afternoon. The second semi-final of the music quiz Counterpoint, chaired by Paul Gamaccini, is on Radio 4 at 3. And The Artificial Human is a new series answering important questions about artificial intelligence, seeking out the facts and speaking to those who are currently shaping our AI futures. Radio 4, Monday afternoon, 4.30. Tuesday, February 20th, A Small Stubborn Town is a dramatisation of BBC foreign correspondent Andrew Harding's book about the events in Vosniensk during the Ukrainian war. With the Russians invading, the people of the small farming town defend their home against attack. Radio 4, 2.15, A Small Stubborn 
town. In the culinary panel show, The Kitchen Cabinet, members of the panel answer the audience's questions on food matters. Radio 4, 3 o'clock on Tuesday. Pauline Collins and Margot Boyd star in Secret Lives, a dramatisation of the satirical novel by E.F. Benson about society shenanigans in stately Durham Square. The first of three parts is on Radio 4 Extra on Tuesday at three in the afternoon. And the story continues at the same time, Wednesday and Thursday. Back to Tuesday, and Peter White presents In Touch, his programme of news and features for blind and partially sighted listeners on Radio 4 at 8.40pm. While also in the evening, in the first of a new series of All in the Mind, Claudia Hammond asks if you can eat your way to a better memory and finds out whether we should be changing our diets to keep our brains healthy. Radio 4 for this, Tuesday night, 9 o'clock. Wednesday, February 21st, in Hollywood Exiles, Una Chaplin explores why her grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, was exiled from the US in the 1950s. BBC World Service, 11.30, Wednesday morning. First of four episodes from 1995 of One Foot in the Grave, starring Richard Wilson and Annette Crosby, can be heard on Radio 4 Extra at 1.30 in the afternoon or 6.30 at night. The drama on Wednesday are Liam of Lords. Liam is a ranting atheist, a disciple of Richard Dawkins and an out and proud gay man. What good could the healing waters of Lords possibly hold for him? Radio 4, Wednesday afternoon. 2.15. Choral Evensong comes from the Queen's College Chapel in Oxford on Radio 3 at 4 o'clock. While on Wednesday evening, Free Thinking celebrates glove making, which features on the Heritage Craft Association Red List of Endangered Crafts, encompassing jewels, hygiene, medical protection and the image of the gloved aristocrat whose hands aren't coarsened by work. The programme explores myriad aspects of this accessory and signifier. Radio 3, Free Thinking, 10pm, Wednesday night. Thursday, February 22nd, from our own correspondent, presented as usual by Kate Adie on Radio 4, at 11am. In Ramblings, Claire Balding joins PE teacher Julie Ford for a bracing hike on the Seven Sisters near Eastbourne. Radio 4, Thursday afternoon, 3 o'clock. Chips with Everything is the first of a new three-part series, The Rise and Rise of the Microchip, telling the story of the microchip's Cold War past, corporate present and quantum future. Radio 4 on Thursday afternoon, 4pm. And there's a new series of the comedy Conversations from a Long Marriage, starring Joanna Lumley and Roger Allen. Radio 4, 6.30pm. Finally, Friday, February 23rd, and a very rare bird indeed. Drama by Peter Tinniswood, starring Judy Dench as a lonely woman who observes the guests at a remote Welsh hotel while she waits for her philandering husband to arrive. Radio 4 Extra at 10am for a very rare bird indeed. Room 101 with Paul Merton is the parlour game in which guests are invited to consign their pet hates and worst nightmares to Room 101. It returns to its original radio home in its original format. Paul talks to Claudia Winkleman in this episode about picnics, whispering and alliteration. Radio 4, 11.30, Room 101. In the series Rare Earth, the programme asks, what can the oceans do for us? The world's oceans have absorbed huge quantities of carbon dioxide, protecting people from the worst effects of climate change. But for how much longer? Radio 4, just after midday.
In Gardener's Question Time, the experts answer horticultural questions from the audience in Balsall in Warwickshire on Radio 4 at 3 o'clock. The topical panel game, the news quiz, is on Radio 4 at 6.30. Well, lastly for the week and for Friday, Archive on 4, Reporting Russia, traces the experiences of BBC correspondents in Moscow. Apart from one short period of openness in the 80s and 90s, it's almost always been hard to gain information. Now, since the start of Russia's full-scale war against Ukraine, many of the difficulties foreign reporters experienced in the Cold War have returned. Archive on 4, Reporting Russia, rounds off our week on Radio 4 at 9pm on Friday. So that's it. Thank you to Wendy for the highlights this week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable one of radio listening. Now for the audio described television programmes for the week starting Saturday the 17th and ending Friday the 23rd of February 2024, compiled by John and read by Helen. So let's start with Saturday. The great food guys cook monkfish with mussels this morning at 11.30. John Tarod and Lisa Faulkner visit Western Australia's first winery in the concluding part of John and Lisa's food trip down under, on ITV1 at 11.40am. James visits the famous orchards of Jura in James Martin's French Adventure on ITV1 at 12.40. Diamond is sent over the edge and dynamite ignites a duel in part 6 of Gladiators on BBC1 at 5.50. Graham Norton presents the quiz involving a big wheel and the chance to win £50,000. Wheel of Fortune is on ITV1 at 6.20pm. Three remaining performers take to the stage in the grand final of The Masked Singer on ITV1 at 20 past 7. There's a new series starting at 10 to 9. 100 contestants face an increasingly difficult logical problems until the question only 1% of the population can answer. The 1% Club is on ITV1 at 850 Last Words is the subtitle of tonight's episode, where Rash's decision to go to work backfires and Stevie has a painful reminder of the past. All this in Casualty on BBC One at 9.20. On to Sunday the 18th. More key politicians and public figures are interviewed in Sunday with Laura Koonsberg on BBC One at 9 this morning. The chef visits Hampton Court Palace in a new series of Raymond Blanc's Royal Kitchen Gardens on ITV1 at 11.30. News reporter Bruce Nolan has had the worst day of his life and blames God. God responds by giving Bruce a chance to see if he can do any better. The afternoon film is Bruce Almighty on ITV1 at 5 past 3. In an illuminating week, the potters create modern lighting using black and white clay in the Great Pottery Throwdown and is on Channel 4 at 7.45. The story of 15 men and women who spent a year on the front line of one of the UK's most divisive cases of industrial action is Minor Strike, a frontline story, and is on BBC Two at 9. Also at 9, Lana puts her life on the lines the bombers continue their campaign with a shocking attack. This is Trigger Point on ITV1 at 9. In a third choice at 9, a famous chef is poisoned during a cooking competition at his latest hotel, 
but he didn't consume anything different to the other contestants. So how was the poison administered? Death in Paradise, tonight at 9pm on BBC One. Now programmes that are on at the same time and same channel each weekday. All the following programmes are on BBC One. Animal Park at 10.45 Homes Under the Hammer at 11.15 Bargain Hunt at 12.15 Doctors at 1.45 but not on Friday Clean It, Fix It at 2.15pm Escape to the Country at 3pm The Repair Shop at 3.45 Now for other channels Dickinson's Real Deal on ITV1 at 2pm Heartbeat, two episodes starting at 5.55pm on ITV3. The soaps are on their usual channels at their usual times. Looking now at Monday the 19th. There are two quizzes that you might enjoy, despite there being no audio description. Mastermind at 7.30 and University Challenge at 8.30, both on BBC Two. Architect George Clark helps homeowners make their period properties fit for modern life. Tonight he visits Manchester to tackle an arts and crafts-inspired Edwardian house. George Clark's Old House, New Home, on Channel 4 at 8. A shocking incident triggers a series of events that rock the community and changes the Driscoll family's lives forever. The Way, a new series, is on BBC One at 9. Another new series, but on ITV1. Dr Abby Henderson and her team are faced with some big decisions as they navigate the greatest public health crisis in living memory. Breathtaking is on ITV1 at 9. Part 2 is on tomorrow at the same time. NASA engineers analyse film of a piece of debris striking the space shuttle seconds after launch and they conclude it doesn't represent a safety risk to the mission. The crew are unaware of this while they are in space. As the shuttle re-enters Earth's atmosphere, technical abnormalities are reported. Part 2 of the space shuttle that fell to Earth is on BBC Two at 9. What's it like to live in territory occupied by your enemy? There's a feature-length documentary about the war in Ukraine, filmed in the occupied area, where the filmmakers see the realities of Putin's war. Ukraine's war, the other side is on BBC Two at 10.45. Tuesday the 20th of February. There are food choices from Lancashire, where Dave and Sai have a hearty breakfast featuring lamb bacon. The hairy bikers go west on BBC Two at 7. Tonya takes drastic action after a scandalous discovery, while Preston takes the law into his own hands when Shuey causes chaos. Waterloo Road continues on BBC One at 8. Comedian Joe travels the country investigating the amount of untreated sewage which is discharged into our rivers and seas every day. Then he tackles the water companies on the subject. Joe Lycett versus Sewage is on Channel 4 at 9. Abby and her team are stretched to the limit as their patients become sicker. Breathtaking continues at 9 on ITV One. Part 3 is on tomorrow at the same time. Why is it so hard to pull a sword out of snow? 
I know not many people have this problem. I seem to have mislaid my sword. It is a question Richard investigates as he looks at how heat or the lack of it can cause clouds, rain, snow, lightning and more in Wild Weather with Richard Hammond on BBC Four at nine. Now on to Wednesday the 21st of February. An old beekeeping kit, a damaged telescope, a 1950s radio and a worn out elephant toy are all in need of help from the repair shop on BBC One at 8. In 2018, Paul and Vic had the choice of Kirsty's plan featuring an open plan kitchen diner or Phil's selection of three alternative properties. What did they decide and what have they done since? Find out in Kirsty and Phil's Love It or List It on Channel 4 at 8. Years after their last encounter, Jack receives an invitation from Alice and their feelings for each other soon resurface. Alice and Jack is on Channel 4 at 9. The team are forced to deal with a new winter wave of COVID-19. As the pressure becomes intolerable, Abby decides to take action, highlighting the effects the pandemic is having on the NHS. Breathtaking concludes tonight at 9 on BBC Two. The opening of the new glamp site is fast approaching, but it's a race to gain time and the elements to get everything ready, not to mention getting the converted helicopter on site after weeks of rain. Johnny Vegas, Carry On Glamping, is on Channel 4 at 9. The story of seven-year-old conjoined twins who weren't expected to live more than a few days is told in Inseparable Twins at 10.40 on BBC One. Thursday the 22nd of February. Will the dragons be inspired by the entrepreneurs emerging from the lift of doom in tonight's Dragon's Den on BBC One at 8? Feeling downcast since his sister left home for university, Harry is hoping to find a best friend who likes to play fetch. How he gets on is revealed in the doghouse on Channel 4 at 8. Tonight's task is to travel to Jersey and then secure and negotiate nine items synonymous with the Channel Islands. The team who secures the greatest number at the lowest price wins. Who will survive another week in the boardroom? The Apprentice continues on BBC One at nine. Alice disappears from Jack's life, but some years later Celia seeks her out to get some answers about him. In turn, Alice is inspired to think about her future. Alice and Jack concludes on Channel 4 at 9. As Team GB gymnasts prepare for the Paris Olympics, this documentary charts the fight for justice by former British gymnasts who claim they were abused by their coaches. Gymnastics, a culture of abuse, on ITV1 at 9. Finally, to Friday the 23rd of February. The priest investigates when the competitive atmosphere at a local dance school leads to a dance with death. Father Brown is on BBC One at 1.45pm. More celebrities feature in tonight's Celebrity Mastermind on BBC One at 730 Robin and Cherry's wedding approaches, so stag party preparations begin. How it all progresses is revealed in Here We Go on BBC One at 8. 
You can see more of Father Brown with two episodes on ITV3, starting at 8 with The Darkest Noon, where Mallory and Father Brown go missing. Then at 9, The Sacrifice of Tantalus, a man suspected of killing a police officer, is seen in Kemblefoot. How about a visit to the historic and contemporary gardens of Spain? If you do, join Monty Don as he visits the traditional central region of Castile at the Escorial and Madrid's famous Ritero Park. Monty Don's Spanish Gardens is a new series starting on BBC Two at 8. What is it like to live in a historic house? Many people do, where they look after some of the National Trust's properties like Castle Wald in Down, Croft Castle in Herefordshire and Penryn Castle in Gwynedd. National Trust, My Historic House, is on Channel 4 at 8. Amanda and Alan renovate the kitchen, hoping to create the heart of their home with an authentic rustic Tuscan design. Then they throw a party for the friends they have made over the summer. The final part of Amanda and Alan's Italian job is on BBC One at 8.30. Martin and Phil travel along the length of Scotland's nearest Scandinavian neighbour. They start in Oslo, where they are encouraged to take a leap off the Holman Collin ski jump. Martin Compton's Norwegian fling is on BBC Two at 9. Would you like to end the week with a late-night feature film? When Andy mistakenly admits to his friends that he is less than experienced in sexual matters, they set about helping him remedy the situation. The 40-year-old virgin is on ITV1 at 10.45. I hope you find something of interest this week. TNF Soundings How drinking tea can help to keep you young. Do you want to be healthier and live longer? Well, one way of doing this, scientists say, could be as simple as having a nice cup of tea. In the UK, we drink an estimated 100 million cups of tea a day, 36 billion in a year. And while fashionable green tea and matcha tea are growing in popularity, it is ordinary black tea that remains the most popular. Researchers have long known that tea drinking is good for us, but the latest study on its benefits, published in The Lancet, suggests that three cups of tea a day could slow down biological ageing and extend your life. For the study, scientists at Sichuan University analysed the tea drinking habits of 7,931 adults living in China and 5,998 people from the UK. Participants were asked for details about their tea preferences, whether they drank black or green tea, how frequently. Assessments of biomarkers such as blood pressure, cholesterol and body fat were taken to determine their biological age. An estimate of how well they are ageing at a cellular level as opposed to their chronological age. Daily drinkers of black and green tea showed signs of slower biological ageing. And among those consuming three cups a day, the benefits were marked. The exposure-response relationship suggested that consuming around three cups of tea or six to eight grams of tea leaves per day may offer the most evident anti-aging benefits, the researchers wrote. 
moderate tea consumption exhibited the strongest anti-aging benefits among consistent tea drinkers. Although they were not comparing the anti-aging effects of different types of tea, the researchers did state that they found no substantial differences in effects on the tea drinkers in the UK, where black tea is the preferred choice, and those in China who more commonly drink other varieties. However, people who stopped drinking tea appeared to show an acceleration in biological ageing, the study found. Alex Ruani, a researcher in nutrition science at University College London, says the findings corroborate what other scientists have discovered. Black and green tea are by, are by far the richest source of flavin 3 oils, a subgroup of the healthy plant compounds found in many foods which can lower the chances of diet-related problems such as heart disease, stroke and type 2 diabetes, he says. These compounds work in various ways such as improving blood pressure, blood flow, cholesterol and even blood sugar levels, but they also help to safeguard ourselves from ageing-related damage. While there is no official recommendation for the optimal flavanol intake in the UK, it is set at 400 to 600 milligrams of flavanthriols daily in the US. We can meet that by having two to four cups of black tea a day, which coincides with the recommendation of the new Lancet study, says Ruani. The drying process of black tea produces high levels of beneficial plant substances known as therubicans, which give it its colour and which have been linked to a host of health benefits. Beneficial antioxidants called theoflavins are only found in black tea, says Dr Michelle Broad, a nutritionist and the author of the Food Effect Diet book. These theoflavins can protect fat cells from damage by free radicals and may support your body's natural antioxidant production, and they are protective to heart and blood vessels. Researchers estimate that three cups of ordinary black tea provide about the same level of antioxidants as six apples, and it's also a useful source of the minerals potassium and manganese, says the specialist dietitian Priya Chu, a spokeswoman for the British Dietetic Association. And there is some, some evidence that black tea can have positive effects on the gut microbiome, increasing levels of beneficial microbes in the gut. The findings in The Lancet showed how drinking tea of any type can help to regulate stress, anxiety and sleep disturbances. So... Nutritionists seem to agree that we should all be putting the kettle on more often. This was adapted from an article in the weekend supplement of The Times magazine, Saturday the 10th of February 2024. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello and welcome to our quiz section. My name is Anne and I'm going to be regularly setting you a short quiz. I'll give you the answers either later in this edition or in a future one. So I hope you're ready and let's begin with quiz number 16. Question number one. St Mungo's Cathedral is in which Scottish city? Question two. 
Blindborn is associated with which type of music? Question 3. The Balti Triangle is an area of which British city? Question 4. The Derby is held at which English racecourse? And question 5. Which English county is known as Shakespeare's County. And that's all for this quiz. I'll speak to you again soon when I bring you the answers. Hello again, and this is Anne with our quiz section, and I have the answers to quiz number 16. The first question was, St Mungo's Cathedral is in which Scottish city? It's in Glasgow. Question two was, Blindborn is associated with which type of music? And that's opera. Question three, the Balti Triangle is an area of which British city? It's in Birmingham. Question four, the Derby is held at which English racecourse? It's held at Epsom. And question five was, which English county is known as Shakespeare's County? And that's Warwickshire. And that's all for this time. I'll speak to you again soon when I bring you the next quiz. TNF Soundings. Times columnist Melanie Reid talks about a recent reunion. Times columnist Melanie Reid became tetraplegic after breaking her neck and back in a riding accident in April 2010. She then started a weekly regular column in the Times magazine called Spinal Column. She says, A slightly haunting coincidence happened on my way to a reunion with graduate scheme friends from about three lifetimes ago. On the car radio came Great Lives, a programme presented by my Times colleague Matthew Paris, featuring the poet Mary Oliver, whose most memorable lines, the guests agreed, are the stirring, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? I swallowed quite hard, I admit. It's poignant enough when you reach a certain age to venture into the past. The glories of lost youth can be a powerful ache. But believe me, as I discovered when I reached the restaurant, it is a zillion times more poignant when you're caged in a wheelchair. Initially, it was unbearably bittersweet to look up in supplication to these three kindly middle-aged men, willing them silently to remember me as I was, young and tall and fun, not this still creature that they must bend down to for an awkward half-hug. Funny things, reunions, even a smaller one as this. The received wisdom is that it's the done okayers and the happy, ordinary middle-of-the-roaders who make the effort to turn up and renew acquaintances. The people at the extremes, those who've either failed or been stratospherically successful in life, often don't show. Plus, I bet, a few with wrecked bodies. 
I'd certainly prefer to be remembered as I was, not as I am now. But I couldn't not go. There was so something so special about this group and what we shared. Earlier that day, leaving home, I told Dave that I was meeting old mates from the one and only time that I have ever still felt drunk going to work in the morning, swaying into Newcastle City Centre on the top deck of a bus. There was plenty of alcohol, for sure, but actually we were drunk on our sense of good fortune. We were 22 or 23, earning our first wages, which were ridiculously high because newspapers were still in their pomp then. And we simply couldn't believe how jammy we were being paid to have so much fun. It was an intense, high-octane four months, an immersive training scheme which had produced some of the UK's most celebrated journalists and hundreds more of its best unsung professionals. The friendships we forged there have lasted. We were our kind of people. We had affection and respect and we laughed as no one has laughed before or since, or so it felt. For me, it was a mini golden age, one of the happiest in my life, an escape from the clingy, insecure person I had been at university. I felt valued and independent, my own woman, and I discovered that I could pretend to be bold if I tried. We went to Catrick Army Barracks for the day and they put us in fatigues. Who wants to drive a tank, they said, and I stuck up my hand. Over lunch, the years fell away and we relived some of it, both tender and mocking, as the best memories are. We talked of Ben, who had died shortly afterwards climbing in Glencoe, numbing us with our first dose of bewildering unfair loss. I updated them about another of the gang I met last year, who battles ill health. After we'd eaten, we did what we always did and we went to the pub. So what about those one wild and precious lives of ours? I asked Riley. Oh, they're not over yet, Mel, cried my lovely old friends. There's more to go. And I pretended very hard that it was true, buoyed by their generosity of spirit. Soon, of course, reality came crashing back. The tube on my urine bag disconnected and I was suddenly just a wet, smelly old woman fumbling with her clothes, desperate to get home. Midnight had struck. Cinderella. Head for the pumpkin. My mates are organising another bigger reunion later in the year. Even if I feel that I now embody loss... It's true, time left is precious, so count me in. This was adapted from Melly Reed's spinal column in the Saturday Times of the 10th of February 2024. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, I'm Colin. This piece is adapted from a recent item which appeared on the BBC News website. Annika Zayan was with her guide dog Lassie for more than eight years before he retired. They've been refused access by museums, restaurants, supermarkets, taxis and even airlines on many occasions. The government has now set out its plans to protect customers like Annika, with assistance dogs, from being illegally refused entry to businesses. Its long-awaited Disability Action Plan sets out 32 measures the government hopes will transform the lives of disabled people. Annika says she's been shouted at by people refusing her access and has even had people try to physically move her out of the way. 
My guide dog is supposed to give me independence, she says. But those actions take a lot of the independence away again. It also affects her family, who often miss out on days out because of her being refused access. An access refusal is when the owner of an assistance dog, like a guide dog or emotional support animal, is told they can't enter a business or access a service, or where they're challenged about their entry because they have their assistance dog with them. Refusal is almost always illegal. The government's proposals include a new fund to support disabled people who want to be elected to public office, British Sign Language interpretation at all major press conferences and briefings from spring 2024, new research into emerging issues affecting disabled people, improving understanding of the cost of living for disabled people, and exploring a bid to host and deliver the 2031 Special Olympics World Summer Games. A new working group of representatives from assistance dog organizations will be set up to look into how better to educate businesses on the legal rights of assistance dog owners and simplify the process of reporting refusals. The Disabled Action Plan will be published following three months of consultation with more than 1,300 disabled people, their families and disability groups. The charity Disability Rights UK says the proposals are light on action and big on more talking. Many disabled people have long been calling for the government to tackle the issues that affect their daily lives. The organisation welcomed the commitment to support disabled people who want to be elected to public office, but said other government commitments, such as improved accessibility standards for new-build housing, were not included. Mims Davies, the Minister for Disabled People, Health and Work, said the new proposals would have an immediate impact, while the government delivers long-term reforms. She said they were aimed at making the UK the most accessible and importantly equal place to live in the world, so everyone can live their lives to the full and thrive. Labour's Shadow Minister for Disabled People, Vicky Foxcroft, said that despite its consultations, the government had still put forward nothing that actually delivers a better life for disabled people. Labour is to set out some of its own plans to tackle inequality, saying it would extend full equal pay rights to disabled people if it wins power. TNF Soundings Why broadcaster Vanessa Feltz won't stay at home in the evening. After her breakup, the broadcaster Vanessa Feltz, 61, refused to stay at home alone on the sofa. She explains why. I went out every night for 378 nights, and you must think I must be exaggerating, but I'm not. Every single evening since my 16-year relationship imploded on January the 14th, 2023, I trekked out somewhere, anywhere, so that I wouldn't have to be stuck inside, all alone, staring at the wallpaper. There's nothing wrong with my Sanderson wallpaper. It's very nice, actually. And it isn't the house's fault. It's just I didn't want to sit in it on my own. 
I sallied forth because you need to be tranquil to just lie on your sofa and watch the television. Pre-heartbreak, I could do that nicely. But post-breakup, everything changed. I was raw and sad and panic-stricken to be partnerless. I had had a hideously well-documented divorce in the year 2000 and I am still battling the psychological scars of unwanted singledom. Although I was born in a hospital on the Holloway Road in 1962, it might as well have been Anatevka General in Fiddler on the Roof. My dad, a lingerie entrepreneur known as Norman the Knicker King, had booked the kosher nuptial banqueting hall for my bridal celebrations while my mum was virtually still giving birth to me. I was bred to be married. There isn't much point in me trying to explain the pressure that we Jewish girls were under to tie the knot. I was 22 when I got engaged and officially on the shelf at that point. No one would believe you if you explained it. Signed, sealed and delivered to the doctor that my grandma Sybil had chosen for me in 1985, I naively believed that I'd been released from the stigma of singledom forever. When I was flung back on the market, and that's exactly how I felt, chucked into the trash 15 years later, the humiliation of being unchosen by my husband was unutterable. I lost four stone in weight on what some call the heartbreak diet. Some people revel in their own company. Some need decades of therapy to face an evening alone. I chose the hairdresser over therapy. The magazines are better. You get coffee and a biscuit. Stay in and spend an evening in my own company. No, thank you. Let someone else do that. I was grateful to any chap kind enough to pick me and I plunged headlong into coupledom again. But I was not prepared for another breakup in my life. Weeks before my 61st birthday last year, I was suddenly single yet again and I couldn't hack it. Sit tight, face your fears, Netflix binge, cook yourself a casserole, fat chance. My talk TV show finishes at 6pm. A quick whiz up the Jubilee line and I can be unlocking my front door at 6.25. The idea of hanging about all by myself till I left for work the next day, 20 hours, was too echoingly empty to contemplate. So I didn't do it. I went out instead. Socialising, stimulating, bristling with promise, evenings out. Mr Wright won't accost you within your own four walls. Outside, there's a slim chance of an encounter. And failing that, you've had a laugh, eating a dinner that you haven't cooked and passed the time until you've reached a civilised hour to toss and turn sleeplessly until morning. Where did I go for 378 nights, for heaven's sake? Well, I whirled about with school friends, work friends, old friends, friends I wasn't even sure were my friends, colleagues who'd wanted to be friends but never dared ask, and people who'd floated around the periphery of my life who, it turned out, were prepared to stand up and be counted for me. Sunday the 28th of of January 2024 was my first night in. Frankly, I'd exhausted all options and I'd exhausted myself. I was too tired to budge. I cooked a salmon fillet in foil in the oven. I watched something so forgettable on TV, I can't remember a single bit of it. I wallowed in scented bubbles in the bath. I didn't love it, but I didn't loathe it either. It was bearable. 
I survived 20 hours of my own company intact. And who knows, I might even try it again in a few months' time. This was adapted from an article in the weekend supplement of the Saturday Times of Saturday the 10th of February 2024. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, this is Alan with an article from the RNIB. There are many apps and gadgets designed to make life easier for visually impaired people. We're talking today about five examples that promise to help you become better organised, keep your appointments, remember all your PIN numbers, and never lose your house keys again. To discover which gadgets and accessible apps are most useful to get organised, the RNIB's Technology Hub asked their visually impaired Technology for Life volunteers to tell us about their favourites for keeping their lives in good order. First, we have two suggestions designed to help you manage passwords. Apple devices have a built-in password manager called iCloud Keychain. It allows you to store all sorts of information securely and makes the details easy to access when you are using the Apple Internet browser Safari. iCloud Keychain can autofill information, including shipping details when you make an online purchase, and it syncs across all devices using iCloud. Technology for Life TFL volunteer Gary Price says, I use Keychain all the time. The downside is, if you have a really complex password, you will always have to use an Apple device to access that website. It will be so much easier than trying to use Windows. If you use Android rather than Apple, you will find you have Google Smart Lock built into your devices. When you log into a website, this secure password manager will ask if you want to remember those details. Smart Lock supports usernames, passwords, credit card info and lots more. There are also two suggestions to help you manage your daily commitments. Microsoft To Do is a free desktop and mobile app that allows you to plan your day, schedule appointments, create daily or weekly to-do lists, set deadlines, and share tasks with other people so a group of you can all be involved in getting things done. If you have a busy diary, with lots of priorities, you can set up reminders with Microsoft To Do so you never miss a thing. If you have a large project to complete, you can break it down into manageable chunks, set up due dates and tick them off as they are complete. TFL volunteer Paul Webster says, I think To Do is very helpful. I use it to manage outstanding tasks and like that I can mark when they're completed and get it to only show what's still left to finish. Microsoft To Do is available online for desktop use, or as an app for iOS and Android. Microsoft have lots of support available for people using To Do with a screen reader. The second suggestion to help you get organised is to use a smart speaker device. For example, Amazon Alexa. 
Using just your voice, it's easy to instruct your smart speaker to set an alarm to get up in the morning, set a timer to boil a perfectly yolky egg, and set reminders for appointments or important dates. Smart speakers are also great for creating shopping lists. If you're in the middle of doing something like cooking dinner and realize you are almost out of an ingredient, it's easy to just tell your smart speaker to add that item to your shopping list. Or if you are making a list of gifts and treats to buy for an occasion, you could create a birthday party list and tell your smart speaker to add things as you remember them. The smart speaker can then read the items back to you when you ask what's on the list, or you can check them in the online app when you're out in the shops and want to be sure you don't forget something important. TFL volunteer Jeanette Scott says, I like when you shop that you can check your list and as you pop the item into your basket, you can quickly remove it off the list with one tap and it appears in the purchased list. Later, if you want, you can restore the item to your shopping list if it is something you frequently use. The best thing is you don't need to sit down and type out your shopping list. Instead, you can be upstairs and suddenly remember you need something and ask immediately for Alexa to add the item to your shopping list. Then when you listen, you find it on the list and on your phone or tablet already in the list for you. And now, last but not least, is an app to help you identify products and read labels. NaviLens is a navigation and labelling app that uses a smartphone to read the information on product labels. NaviLens is an optical smart code that can be accessed from a smartphone camera, similar to a QR code. The app works on both Android and Apple phones and is completely accessible. You can download the NaviLens app and then simply point your smartphone camera at anything with a NaviLens code on it. The app will be able to read the information on the code within 3 meters and can also help direct you towards the code. In the UK, Kellogg's are incorporating NaviLens technology to make their packaging more accessible and Nivea have recently signed up to use NaviLens. But you can also use NaviLens to get organised at home too. You can create your own NaviLens codes to label food in the cupboard, put appointments onto a calendar, note the tracks on a CD, or even record banking details so you can access them independently. NaviLens supply a selection of free codes for personal use at home that you can print out and stick onto anything that you want to label. Using the NaviLens smartphone app, you can add as much information as you want and easily find the tagged item when you need it. Further information can be found on the RNIB Technology Hub at tnflink.uk slash 126. That's again tnflink.uk slash 126. The hub contains lots of useful information, guides, tips and tricks about making your devices accessible and details of technology that is available in the home. TNF Soundings 